Have you, uh, you may be, let me pray. <laughs> so I was all excited to share what I was about to share. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for bringing us and gathering us here this morning. I pray, pray that all of us would listen to your words, your words of salvation and your words of prophecy. That may make us uncomfortable, but they will challenge us to live differently and to expand our idea of who our neighbor is. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you may be seated. Have you ever signed up for something and it turned out to be a lot different than you expected? I remember my senior year of high school, I got into Virginia Tech and I had become a Christian the summer before my senior year. And I went into Virginia Tech thinking I was going to go to fellowships and be involved with Christian ministry. And it was pretty much the opposite. I pledged a fraternity and kind of did all those kind of things. Uh, I did go to church once. I went with my sister and my sister's roommate, who's my sister's roommate's parents happened to be in town that weekend. And during the uh, sermon, I fell asleep on my sister's roommate's father's shoulder, who I'd never met before. And he was nice enough to just kind of pat my head and make me more comfortable. But uh, I had been out way too late the night before. And towards the end of my freshman year at Tech, I was starting to feel a spiritual void and realized that I had drifted pretty far from the Lord. And it was time for me to take some steps to kind of get back to uh, my faith. So in high school, I had become a Christian when I was invited to a Young Life camp, a Christian outreach for high school students. So I called up my leader and I said, I want to volunteer and work at one of the camps. He said, great, I'm going to be at Saranac. Why don't you sign up? Just pick the job that you want to do and you should get it. Well, I picked the job. I wanted to be a lifeguard and drive ski boats. Sounded like an awesome summer. Meet some college girls, you know, do some work for the Lord. But God had other things in mind. I got outdoor maintenance, which I said, hey, can't be too bad. Maybe I'll still get to get a suntan. But God had other things in mind. You see, at this camp, they had this weird sewage system. And the sewage system had three parts to it. And the third part, it went into this sand field out in the middle of nowhere. It was about a half a mile from the camp. And they were having problems with it. It was this tertiary system. I love saying that. It makes me sound smart, you know, about sewage systems. But uh, the water would sit on top of the sand, and it was supposed to drain. But scum had begun to build up on the sand and on top of the water, and it was not draining through the sand. So my job, along with the other two guys, was to go there twice a day, once before breakfast. place smelled terrible. There was these huge flies. They were, like, bigger than deer flies. I'm not sure what they were, like Jurassic Park kind of flies that would bite you. And you had to wear these wading boots. And when you walked down these, they had these PVC pipes in each lane. And when you walked dragging your rake, if the other guy was walking at the same time, you had to walk really slow. Otherwise, the wave would come over your boot. And so we did this. And I'm trying to figure out how is this helping my faith. And we did this. All month long, twice a day, sometimes three times a day, they were having so much problems with the system. But God knew what he was doing. You see, I needed some time where I wasn't up front. And I met one of uh, my really good friends who went to my wedding when I got married in Brazil. And he uh, encouraged me with my faith, encouraged me to live my life differently. After that summer of raking scum, I went back to Virginia Tech, realized that God had other plans in my life. 
I de-pledged the fraternity. Um, I ended up volunteering with Young Life, became a youth pastor. Um, my life went on a whole new trajectory because God needed to do some work with me. It was not what I was expecting, but God had good things. It made me uncomfortable, but through that uncomfort, I learned to trust God more, even though it was pretty awful. I have a picture to prove it if anybody wants to see it sometime. <laughs> what about you? I'm sure you've signed up for things and it wasn't what you expected. Or even in relationships. Maybe you got into a relationship and the person appeared to be one thing, then the more you got to meet them, it wasn't to your expectations. Maybe it was better. Maybe it wasn't. But all of us know that feeling of realizing we've gotten to something that wasn't what we quite expected. The passage today that we, I read from the Gospel of Luke, one of the, my Bibles calls it Jesus' inauguration. It was like his big speech. He had begun his public ministry. He had actually already been beginning it in uh, different parts of Israel. But he'd come back to his hometown in Nazareth. All the people are there, and they're very pleased. This is our homegrown boy. He's been studying theology since he was a little kid. We're really proud of him. They were clapping a lot as he began his speech. But as he began to unfold his speech, those clapping turned to anger. See, what he was saying was not what they were expecting. He was challenging them. He was expanding their idea of their their neighbor. And then he was comparing them with one of the worst times in Israel's history, during the times of Elijah and Elijah, when the Jewish people did not listen to God. And both of those prophets had to go outside the community. Elijah went to a widow that was a foreigner, even though there were plenty of widows at that time in Israel. Elijah, there were plenty of lepers in Israel, but he went outside the flock, so to speak. And only Naaman, a foreigner, was healed. When the people heard this message, they become very uncomfortable. A matter of fact, they're clapping and that a go boy turn into rage, we want to kill you. you got to love the Bible. It's not just these nice stories where Jesus is holding lambs and blessing children. Things can turn on a dime, and they turned on a dime during this story. They brought him to the cliff. They're ready to hurl him off. But Jesus, being the Son of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walks right through that crowd and begins his public ministry. But there's good news in this passage today for each of us. Following God brings us into salvation and forgiveness of sins, and that's good news for our neighbor. But it's also uncomfortable, kind of like when I was in that Hmong scum field. It's uncomfortable in that he challenges us through the Holy Spirit to love people that we didn't think we could love, to make us go to places we didn't want to go, to talk to people we don't want to talk to, to live our lives in a completely different way that is not always comfortable. Today, I want to unpack two things about this speech that Jesus gave. The first is him being the Messiah, being the Savior, and the way that he laid uh, the vision out from Isaiah on what that means for him to be saving people for sins and how we can participate that. And the second thing, I want to focus on Jesus as a prophet, what it means that Jesus is a prophet and how we can listen to his words, even when it's challenging for us and it doesn't fit with our expectations on who Jesus is. And it may make our lives very different, but I promise you it'll make them better if we have the courage to follow Christ in a much deeper way.
I want to start and look at Jesus as Messiah. You see, his mission was to save people from their sins. Now, this was laid out earlier in Luke's gospel. Um, at his birth, the angels, the angels, not the angels, the angels announced to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is a Savior. Simeon, when Jesus was to be circumcised, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he held Jesus in his arms and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelations to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So it's going to expand. The salvation is for not just Israel, but for the Gentiles, too. In Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist quotes the prophet Isaiah, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So we learn before even this inauguration speech that Jesus is the Messiah that's going to save people and bring forgiveness. And it's going to be for for all people. And it's going to include the Gentiles. So as we look at Jesus being this Messiah that's going to save people, um, the interesting thing is that the words that he reads from the scroll are Isaiah 61. And this passage to any good Jew who had been studying would know it deals with end time salvation. And Jesus explains that this salvation that he brings is not just esoteric knowledge that only like the educated will understand. That's you know very confusing only to the elite. Instead, it brings us to our neighbor. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he reads in Isaiah, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery to the sight of the blind and to let the oppressed go free. You see, it's palpable. It's touchable. This salvation deals with the whole person. It releases people from bondage and brings them into a relationship with God. Yes, it's forgiveness. Yes, it's a knowledge of God's salvation. But it means getting, rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty, and interacting with your neighbors. But Jesus goes on. And this is when things start getting interesting because he expands the idea of neighbors. Right now, everybody's clapping for him. That's great. He's going to help our people. You see, Nazareth was a very nationalistic. It was a small town. They very much, we've got to purify ourselves from within, and we've got to be released from this Roman oppression. But Jesus challenges them, first by bringing up the fact uh, of these uh, prophets and comparing them to this worst time in history. But then... He also does not endorse their nationalism. Instead, he says, we need to be about these Gentiles. We need to expand our idea of who this neighbor is. The people were irate because he made them uncomfortable. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. They wanted somebody that was going to tickle their ears and tell them all the things they wanted to hear. But instead, he was challenging them, and it was not comfortable. He was going to completely change the value system of who the neighbor was and who was worthy of salvation. And the people nearly killed him. So Jesus is this Messiah who saves us from our sins. And this salvation, like I said before, it's tangible, it's touchable. It not just tells our neighbor, it helps to heal them. It helps to, um, for them to understand the forgiveness that God brings. It heals people from addictions, from all kinds of oppression in their life. And then Jesus has profit for us. It helps us to say hard things to people and to listen when people say hard things to us. 
so we can be the people that God wants us to be. First, when it comes to uh, Jesus as a savior for you and I, um, theologian Daryl Bach says this. Part of the liberty of the gospel is coming to the father with the recognition that he supplies what we really need to release us from the perspectives in life that chain us down and cause us to mistreat others. In other words, when we come to a realization that Jesus has saved us and has died for our sins and we live into that, he helps to break the chaos in our life, the chaos that sin brings. See, he starts with you and I. He starts very personally, but he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us with the recognition that I'm broken. I'm spiritually bankrupt. You see, God uses broken people to accomplish his purposes. That means he can use me who's been broken and you and you and you who have been broken to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't let us wallow in our sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us a mission and a purpose so that we can be a part of his redemptive ministry. And very specifically, as he lays out in Isaiah, this ministry involves the poor, the actual poor, poor, the people that are oppressed, the people that are in prisons. We have people in this church that do an amazing job of visiting the prisons around South Carolina. We have people in this church that do an amazing job of helping with the poor. But as I said before, one of the recognitions is that we are all all of us are spiritually bankrupt and the recognition that without God and on our own, we can't do life very well. And we realize that, too, that it's not just the person in prison or the poor person. It's all of us who are poor. It's even our neighbors that live in plantations here on the island. It's the wealthy. It's the poor economically. It's all of us who come to the realization that we can't do life on our own. See, that's the beginning of salvation. So we are part of this ministry of release, of releasing people from these strongholds in their life. It's interesting, when I take kids to Honduras, on one, uh, one of the days we eat in one of the simple homes from the, uh, the children we've been working with uh, during the week. And when I say simple, they're super simple. You know, concrete walls, dirt floors. Sometimes there's not plumbing inside. It's all outside. But the kids that I bring never notice it because you get so caught up with working with th- these folks. And the thing they realize again and again is how these people who are very poor economically are so rich toward God because they recognize their need. And when we start becoming a part of that, we recognize our own need. But even with all our stuff, it doesn't work. Our stuff just distracts us from knowing our need for God. In addition to this ministry of release, as we live into God's salvation, we have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. Yes, we help the poor and the prisoners, but we also proclaim the good news of salvation that only Christ brings. A youth leader came to my high school and I thought this guy was like super goofy and he would come every day and go to our games. And then the more I got to know him, I realized that I was probably the one who was goofy. This guy was a strong man. And uh, he, uh, as his life, he continued to uh, be a, an amazing proclaimer of the gospel. He ended up uh, marrying a, a beautiful woman, had two kids, developed cancer. And I was at a uh, youth retreat and he was there and he had about a year left to live. And he said to me, He said, Steve, don't forget the main thing. Keep telling people about Jesus. His life was a testimony of what it means to proclaim the gospel. He went to the high school where it was uncomfortable because he was a lot older and began to share the gospel with us. The second thing I want to unpack for us is Jesus as prophet. 
You see, Jesus continued to challenge us on who our neighbor is. Bruce Main, the director of Urban Promise Honduras, uh, one summer uh, challenged us to cross the street. He said it kind of metaphorically and literally. In other words, our idea of who our neighbor is, it may not be a comfortable place. We may have to cross the street and go to some place that's difficult. One of the first Youth Sundays I spoke at this church, I shared about a, um, a high school student who had been killed in a car crash who had been a part of the youth ministry program I was running and came from a rough railroad family. His parents were, uh, how can I say it, they were uh, very uh, interesting people. Um, every time you walked by that house, you'd kind of smell marijuana smoke and, uh, you know, the kids were doing drugs in the house, but they really loved each other, which was kind of crazy. You expect it to be a lot of, like, you know, kind of violence and things like that. But there was definitely, um, as dysfunctional as this family was, there was a lot of love. And it devastated, obviously, when their son died. I remember driving by, I was going to the funeral, but I really didn't want to go to the funeral party. It might be uncomfortable. But the Holy Spirit was urging me to get out of my car, walk across the street, and go to that funeral party. And when I did, I met a man there, uh, even before I got in the door, he started telling me his story and his struggles with alcohol addiction. And I began to, I shared Christ with him right there. I went into the house, a lot of marijuana smoke, a lot of people crying, but I was supposed to be there. I talked to people. And more importantly, I was able to pass the baton and learn from a pastor in that town who continued to reach these people long after this funeral party was over. Matter of fact, he invited the family to start coming to church. They'd never been to church. And the, uh, the father, first time he was at church, they gave him communion. He said out loud to the pastor, he's like, so what's going on? You're giving me a drink now? It was that kind of family. But this pastor had a heart to follow these people for the long term, not to follow them, but to reach out to these people and to continue to bring Christ to them, even though it was uncomfortable. They didn't fit in the mold of what church people were. We are called to listen and to respond to God's truth, to the Holy Spirit's prompting, to speak to, the, each, to others, to proclaim the gospel. But we are also responsible to uh, listen to other people when they speak the truth to us. I remember right before I went on that trip to rake the mung field, the, uh, the sewage, I was at a party and doing things I wasn't supposed to do, and there was a wrestler there from my high school, and I knew him pretty well, and he saw me, and he's like, Steve, what are you doing? Are you ditching the faith? I go, what are you talking about? Quit judging me. You know, that was my response, but I didn't say that loud because I was afraid he might beat me up. You know, he's one of these guys that... It's like the office linebacker from those old commercials. You're afraid he's going to tackle you or something or put you in a wrestling mode. So I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not ditching the faith and kind of hiding my beer around my back and, you know, trying to uh, um, just pretend that everything was fine. But obviously his words still stick with me or I wouldn't be sharing them today. We need to share truth in each other's lives, even when it's uncomfortable, just as Jesus shared with that audience in his hometown back in Nazareth. When we do this, when we understand that Jesus is our Savior. He wants us to love and share the gospel in a holistic way. We bring healing and release to people. When we recognize that we're broken, that we need God's salvation as well, and that we can work with that because he uses broken people, we see God in the right way. He's not a God like, uh, there was an Alpha video that had God as like the vending machine God where we just kind of push what we want. I'll have a good day, and I'll have a good grade on my test, and a good life, and yeah, a promotion at work. See, God is not a genie in a bottle. The Holy Spirit prompts us to do things we don't want to do so we can be the people that God has called us to be. So what does this mean for our church, for us, 
I read a, a lot of kind of business books, and Og Mandino is an author I like. He's an old guy who wrote a lot of business and sales books. But he says this. He says, what is the best thing for a river? To keep moving. If it stops, it stagnates. Our church, our community, we need to move with the Holy Spirit. Not just move and look busy kind of thing, but be listening to the Holy Spirit on what he wants our church to do. We're building a, an addition in our building, which is fantastic. But we have a mission to do, and that's to reach out to the people around us, even when it's uncomfortable. We have a big responsibility as the church. We cannot overlook it. We need to look in the mirror both collectively and individually and ask ourselves if we are heeding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to participate in the kind of ministry that Jesus lays out in Isaiah. When a church does this, the church becomes much healthier. We have a lot of people doing this in our church, but all of us realize that we can be listening more to the Holy Spirit and not ignoring when he's calling us to cross the street. One of my great friends from high school uh, stayed with his parents for a while after uh, uh, college. He saved a bunch of money up, and his dream was to move out to San Diego. He loved surfing, and he went out there, and he had become a Christian uh, at the end of high school and in college, and he wanted to get, and he's still single, so he said there was huge churches in Southern California, so he got in a singles group, and he thought it would be great. Hey, I'm going to meet Christian people. He said it was more unhealthy than parties he went to. It was not what he expected. It was like a bad singles group because they didn't really have any purpose except for just to kind of meet and look at each other. And all the guys were kind of jockeying for position on who the girl they thought was the cutest and whatnot. And it just was like a bad reality television kind of thing. And he got out of that church and went to this other singles group. And this singles group had a mission. And their mission, because it was a San Diego was to go to Tijuana and to Baja, California, and to do uh, missions once a month as a singles group. He said it was the most healthy group. They had a purpose. And it wasn't just looking at each other. It was doing something together. See, God has called us to do something together, to live out this vision. When we do this, we become much healthier. We're not backbiting each other. And instead, we have a plan. And it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit that leads us to this. We're healthier as a community we're healthier as individuals, and we're bring, able to bring the health and the power of the Holy Spirit to others. I want to leave us with a quote. Uh, Gary Haugen, the founder of International Justice Ministry, says this. What's God's plan to make it believable to the world that God is good? We are the plan. There is no other plan. When Jesus left the disciples, it was up to them to start the church. But not them alone. He sends us the Holy Spirit. We get to participate with the Holy Spirit. We are his plan. There's no other plan. So let's live into that. Let's not live our lives the same. Let's not try to leave ministry up to the professionals. Because trust me, we need you all. We are just as broken as you all. We need us as a community to live out the gospel in our, first in ourselves then in our community, and then to the ends of the earth. The rock band Rush said this, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. So I leave you with this today. This is not what they were talking about, but what I, I guess I'm trying to talk about for myself and us. Let's make the choice today to follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit, to live out the Isaiah vision that Jesus talked about, to bring salvation to others. And to foster the gift of prophecy with each other, that we would speak the truth in each other's lives and to speak the truth to people that are hurting. Let us pray.
Lord, I thank you that you can use a broken person like me and you can use a broken people, broken people like everyone here to accomplish your purposes. I thank you that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out your vision. Give us strength and courage and open up our ears and eyes to hear and see what you have planned for us this day and evermore. Amen.